Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dane Baptiste, Questions Everything listeners. Uh, the Hizzer, Howard here. Just saying that uh, Dane is in Australia on tour, uh, which I imagine is very nice and sunny, um, but it makes it a little bit complicated to arrange, you know, recording the show. So what we thought we'd do is that Dane would talk to interesting people that he's on tour with, uh, some comedians, and who else knows, you know, he might bump into other people. Um, so yeah, Dane's flying solo. It's a great listen. I pop a question in there anyway, but uh, enjoy the show, guys. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. Your host, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, is currently on tour in Western Australia, but that won't stop me from posing the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from my usual producer friend and co-host, Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, who isn't currently with me. His question, I've never been to Australia. Is it still good as it looks in pictures, or have the humans ruined it? A good question, Howard. I would say that given that Australia is known for everything, including the flora and fauna being able to kill you, uh, the humans haven't ruined it too much. But uh, I've not been doing it for that long as a tour. But I'm sure we'll find out. But for the most part, humans seem to be doing a pretty good job. Uh, but I guess we'll find out. But um, if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll never miss an episode where you can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is an Australian comedian who I'm currently spending a lot of time with, so they are very patient, first of all. They have taken the comedy world by storm by winning the Royal Comedy Award at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in 2021, and they have a very successful newsletter of anecdotes that you can sign up to for more hilarity called I Shave My Legs for this and they are currently smashing it on this tour of Western Australia. Please welcome to the show, Ms. Plu, Plu, again. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Miss Prue Blake. Thanks for having me, Day. It's a name that actually trips up a lot of MCs. I was, like... It was going so well up until that point. <laughs> they get overconfident with it. Yeah, I was, I was on a roll yeah. and I thought, yeah, it's going great. Think, how's Prue Blake gonna trip me up? I can yeah. say this in my sleep. But... Look, yeah, there's something about the not many letters, but enough to get you into trouble. I know, but I feel especially worse because I uh, also have a monosyllabic name, which people mess up all the time. And I really thought that I'd be able to uh, <laughs> do a much better job. Um, but yeah, almost called you pure in that instance. I like pure. I yeah. feel like the antithesis of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a uh, yeah, nice antithesis. Um, so we like to uh, first of all have a ask the question: Do you think humans have ruined Australia? Do I think humans have ruined Australia? Well, I mean, this is also my first time touring through regional Western Australia, so we're both seeing it through fresh eyes. First time in an outback. And I feel like Australia has maybe benefited where other countries struggle in that there's just so much of it. There's a lot of space here. There's a lot of space. Like we've only been able to get our hands on a pretty small percentage yeah 
and there's still a lot of wildlife. Yeah, so there's more nature than there are people for the time being. Yeah, for the time being, until sea levels rise. We <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're waiting on that. Well, as far as I've seen, you're not like the UK, we have sewage in our water system. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, we left the EU and they used to be like, you shouldn't pour like piss and shit into like uh, your waterways. And we were like, we don't want to do that. And so that's Actually, what we that are now. Actually, that rule is a dumb European rule. Yeah, yeah, they were like, that's way too European. <laughs> yeah. Maybe for the French. Maybe. <laughs> the, yeah, they're too, they, they don't want to swim with floaters, but not in the UK where we've got true grit. We, we do have some um, beaches that are a bit like that. I haven't seen them yet. We have seasides in the UK. Okay. So as bad as you think your beaches are, trust me, I've seen <laughs> much, much worse. But, um... With the uh, nature of this podcast, and also because I know that somewhere in the UK, my producer friend is like doing this thing where he wants me to move along. <laughs> so um, uh, with that's the, good. He's really got in your head. Yeah, I mean, it's not the impression that I thought he would ever leave, but that's where we are now, and uh, I'm sure he'd be very happy about that fact. So, <laughs> thank you very much, Howard Cohen, aka the Hizzer. You have imprinted on my brain permanently, um, which is great. Um, but yeah. Essentially, what Howard would say if he was here is that uh, after making a joke about humans ruining stuff and swimming amongst shit, he would say it's probably time for a question as this format dictates. So as our very esteemed guest, Prue, I'd yes. like to invite you to ask the first question, which could be any question you'd like, which I'd like to discuss for about 25 minutes to about half an hour. Okay. And then I would like to pose a question to you as well to discuss for the same amount of time. And then I would love for you to tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out about your great works, past, present and future. Sounds Great, good? I love an agenda, an cool, agenda cool. for the session. Absolutely. So, uh, with that kind of, hopefully, maintaining some structure, uh, the floor is yours to ask the first okay, question. Okay, well, this is my question, and I think it builds on the question Howard asked quite nicely. You get included, Howard, you lucky man, doing, yeah. doing, doing fuck all. Gutted you're not here. <laughs> if, oh, if, you knew, if you knew him, forever. right, exactly, but if you knew him, you'd understand why, yeah, you, why we're missing him so much. <laughs> There you go, Howard. Um, yeah, really good shout out. But the question I wanted to ask is whether you think in 2023, mm-hmm. neither of us have kids, mm-hmm. do you think you need to be an optimist to be willing to be a parent? That is a good question. Uh, Howard would also want me to ask, because uh, he likes to follow up, what has prompted this question? Yeah, it's just something I've been thinking about. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were having this discussion very briefly after we went for a lovely uh, dinner in a... Yeah, we had a brilliant pasta dinner. Brilliant pasta dinner. And uh, yeah, I think it's a very relevant question because I am also at a stage now where I guess historically in this line of work, you know, you tend to find that uh, we have very little time for what would I would perceive as the more conventional paths that most people in this part of the world go through. Um, but yeah, I guess as I've gotten older, I've done comedy for 10 years now and uh running out of excuses <laughs> and yeah the, maybe the last remaining one would be an existential one where it's kind of like given the way you know the state uh, of the world the state of the world especially from the perspective of people that uh, observe things for a living yeah um yeah would you want to bring kids into this world i think it's a good question i think for me i guess i've always or, I've, or more recently i've tried to have the attitude where i don't believe like having kids is an entitlement and I'm aware that there are a number of people in this world for a number of different reasons who are unable to conceive, even though they want kids. So I wish I'd have that perspective where, where even though I can, doesn't mean I necessarily should or will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that um, what I try to do 
is have perspective and consider the fact that I'm sure that in may, many relative ways, when uh, my parents are thinking about giving birth to me or making me alongside my sister, they uh, would have been dealing with the same kind of existential crises in terms of the state of uh, the economic state of their environment, uh, as well as the social climate. Um, and I guess they were right, right? We're the first. Yeah. You know, I'm a millennial. Yeah, me too. And we're the first generation that hasn't done as well as our parents. Yeah, this is the thing, because that's the idea, is that my parents, when I was growing up the whole time, the thing they would always say to me is they'd always be like, I want to give you everything I never had, and we want to just make sure you do better than we did. And mm. I think in many ways, there's been a number of different opportunities, like, for example, pursuing the job I have now, which um, I definitely wouldn't have been able to consider without a certain level of support from my parents, mm. even though... I uh, would say that they weren't necessarily on board with it right away. I'm not sure what was It's your very experience. hard to be on board with an open mic. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. Explaining the logic behind being an open mic comedian is just yeah, it's a it's a tough one. It's like you're going where for how much money? Every night. Every night, yeah. and uh, why do you do that? Because you like it. Yeah. And yeah, explaining to uh, immigrant parents that uh, I want a job that I love. Um, yeah, they. Like, really, that's not what jobs are for. That's not how jobs work at all. <laughs> and I remember as well because like one of the first things the first job I ever had was I had a paper round and I remember being like saying to my dad like oh it's not great and uh, not really enjoying it and I'm sure that there are many dads out there who would have said something positively reinforcing my dad's always been quite a stoic realist and he was kind of like well the work don't stop there son (laughs) all he said was kind of like you know it's not going to get any easier where work is concerned and I feel like my dad's working life was a large inspiration for me actually finally pursuing comedy in earnest because mm. he um, got quite ill when I was working about 10 or so years ago. He had a collapsed lung, he got pneumonia. And I remember that he was still trying to go into work the week before he got really bad. Got really bad. He was still trying to go into work and he also um, had just gotten a award for perfect attendance. Ooh. Yeah, you'd think so. All would be that you think for someone who's never missed a day of work, which he had never done, and they gave him a clock. <laughs> and I was kind yeah. of like, he understands how punctuality works clearly. Was he always attending but 25 minutes late? What That's what like? I mean, yeah, which I wish I would think he described as perfect attendance, but yeah, they were just yeah. like, yeah, here's a clock. But um, and he used to work for Ford, okay, so you think that would be something more automotively related. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a tire. Car. A car would be great. I mean, a car would be yeah. great. And that's what you'd think if someone was, you know, dedicated and be working in the same place for 20 plus years, a car would probably be and great. And surely you've got some kicking around. Yeah. You know. Exactly. You know, you've got some cars left over or at least maybe a upgrade yeah. to the car you currently have. Something that would probably be of more benefit yeah. than a uh, clock. Also, if they got him a car, there's a clock already in it. Exactly. So best that would have best of both worlds. So Double that would have separated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that would have that would have definitely, uh, I think, would have covered all of their bases. But they went for a clock. But I remember seeing that, and you know, someone who definitely has a much more uh, traditional attitude towards employment. My dad, uh, yeah, worked very tirelessly, and receiving that, and also, you know, having to uh, depend upon at the time, you know, and I'm, I'm a definitely a proponent and supporter of the NHS but I understand that even back then 10 years ago they were definitely overworked and uh, they were almost missed his diagnosis of his pneumonia mm. and uh, I looked at all that and I thought you know given that somebody who works as honestly and tirelessly as that 
can be in this position without much support. That's enough for me to be like, well, you know what, fuck it, because you know our biggest fear about pursuing our, uh, I suppose, creative potential would be, how do I feed myself? How do I pay my rent? And how do I take care of myself as a human being? And I saw very clearly you can do all of that, yeah. and shit can still go left. Stuff still, yeah, you always hear those stories about people that work tirelessly and loyally for a company their whole yeah. lives and died of a heart attack the year before they were meant to retire and suddenly yeah, live. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And uh, you just wonder if it's really worth it. But I think in order to <laughs> ponder whether it's a world worth bringing kids into, I guess you have to consider what we're dealing with at the moment. So I'd say, you know, climatologically would be one of the first uh, worries I would have yeah. where like I'm like, you know, people do tend to think initially about being able to provide for their children financially. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like it doesn't really matter how much money you give your kids. If the air is not safe to breathe, the water's not safe to drink, we don't really have access to resources. Or if you, even if it doesn't affect you directly, it will affect you indirectly because obviously we have to live in a society yeah. and that can have an effect on you too. Because I just think even if nothing else, psychologically, like as it's you said yourself, yeah, it's a lot for somebody to deal with. And that with. feeling of you want to keep your kids safe and you want yeah, to protected somewhat sheltered yeah and i think it's uh, especially in the advent of social media it's much harder to shield your kids from the world and yeah. oversee that kind of thing and i think there's a lot I more do obstacles think on the flip side mm-hmm. if if climate change gets really bad and we enter kind of a era of climate wars yes having a well-timed child might garner a little bit of sympathy help you get a little bit more resources, a little more protection. Could, yeah, it could be the case, yeah. It could yeah. be the way to forward. It could be the case, yeah. And, uh, they'd have to be cute. Oh, they have to be very cute. But then I'm worried about, like, in the world we live in now, does that make them, like, a, uh, you know, potentially a donor in the dystopian world where someone's like, this kid is amazing. I bet they taste good. Yeah, like, I know that's going real far. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows how far it will go, especially for the fate of, like, uh, cute children. Like, I'd hope to have one day. But I think... Uh, um, you you definitely have cute kids. I think so. Yeah. I think I have some cute kids. I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on them, but I hope they'd be funny children. Really? Yeah. But then I think at the same time, like, your kids normally tend to act rebelliously towards you, so they'll be like, this guy and his dad jokes. And it's like, I'll have you know that I actually am a jokester that <laughs> became a dad. Yeah. I was doing this before you came along, so these are not dad jokes. This is just a comedian doing jokes who now is incidentally a dad. And I don't yeah. need to do it for your validation, children. Thank you very much. I think that's funny. I want my kids to be very serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's quite funny, like a serious little kid. Yeah, and just be like, you need to behave and, and grow like, up. And like fact-checking you all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm like a fact-checking kid. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think as long as they're like alert, I suppose, and aware to the world, that is the main thing. Because I, I suppose there's, there are certain aspects of a person's personality that you're not necessarily in control yeah. of. So I suppose for me, it's the idea that most kids, you'd want everyone to be able to adapt. And so, uh, you know, there's, there are a number of aspects of the world now that I've probably spoken to my parents about in a very frustrated way, but not necessarily try to blame them or be like, why am I even here? Because obviously, yeah. who can predict what happens? Like I went to university, for example, at a time where it was a practice that was becoming celebrated very much in the UK. And we had like a left-wing government in and they were doing student loans and stuff. And so they got to go to university. So for my parents, that's something they wouldn't even have considered. Mm. So they were like, university. And at first I was like, well, I'm not sure. And they were like, I think you know you better be fucking sure. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I didn't know that not going to university was an option. Yeah, exactly. Until my little brother didn't go. 
I was wow. like, you can get away with that? Yeah, there you go. But see, unfortunately, it's the first, he's the oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. Litmus test child. Yeah. That's always a problem. I've got all the attention. Yeah, all the experimentation. All the experimentation, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the methods, all the trial and error. I get, I've heard this first account from my old, older sister as well. Yeah. That she's always kind of like, you know, your parents are just trying to work out what they were doing with me. Oh, they're so relaxed. My <laughs> yeah. My sister's like, not only are they relaxed, sometimes they're like, you do some parenting as well. Like, you know, <laughs> you are a direct product of our academy, so you can take care of these kids. Oh, so. no, my parents didn't do that. No, my sister definitely has, as a result of her being tasked with uh, some free babysitting. She's definitely more of a, uh, I'd say more of a young aunt than an older sister. How was the age Just difference? Two years. <laughs> it's two years, but to hear her tell it and act it is definitely uh, 10 to 15. I'm five years older than my little brother, and I remember my mum would make me drive him to school mm. when I was in, in uni. So he was in high school. And I'd be so hungover, I'd have to <laughs> and like vomit out of the car. This is between you and I, young man. This yeah, could all be like, this... Don't tell mum! Yeah, exactly. I'm I doing... got up, didn't I? Yeah, I'm doing you a favour as well. Yeah. And I feel like uh, your sibling driving you to school is probably less embarrassing than a parent driving you to school. Until they yeah, puke in front of all your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then you could just be like, yeah, my sister. You'll, you'll understand in five years. You'll understand. Yeah, you'll understand exactly where this yeah. is, you guys. I'm just showing you your future, yeah. so which is good. And maybe, and maybe that's the key is that you have to be very realistic with your kids about what yeah. to expect. And I, and I think that probably helps. Is that uh, maybe realism is the way to go as opposed to optimism, and giving kids an idea of what's going to happen in the world. Like I remember Chris Rock has a bit where he says, "I tell my daughters all the time, when you go out there, nobody gives a fuck about you." Yeah. Everyone who cares about you is in here, which it's, I'm not sure is necessarily the best way to go. <laughs> I think that could make someone quite neurotic, but I definitely want to be realistic with my kids and, you know, teach them about yeah. aspects of, uh, you know, life. inequality yeah. uh, in life. I guess all life challenges like inequality and, you know, that capitalism might be somewhat of a festering tumour on a <laughs> human civilization. But um, It is. Yeah, it's funny. I really remember being like a young kid and calling my dad into my bedroom mm-hmm. and saying dad dad i'm so scared that i'm going to die mm. and he would just say you will you'll <laughs> <Yeah>. die <laughs> yeah. he's going that's a certainty that's gonna happen and i would have been maybe like seven or eight years first time old. you heard the word certainty and you're yeah. like mm, this is the context you're going to use it and in. yeah he's still <laughs> yeah. a seven or eight year old kid you know the only thing certain in life is <laughs> death and taxes <laughs> i think my dad said the same yeah. as well death and taxes <laughs> i mean i have national i didn't even have social security there but oh, national insurance yeah. then what are they taxing yeah, yeah. my life apparently okay try and explain tax to me now that's harder <laughs> than death uh, what what effect did that have on you I think it was it was nice to know an adult would tell you the truth, yeah. but I was still very nervous yeah. about life for a long time. I think I think you want parents to yeah. kind of say everything will be all right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't feel like I could say that to no. kids if I had them. No. And I think the reason I asked about it in terms of optimism is that when I was younger, I always grew up wanting kids and mm-hmm. like I love hanging out with kids, love spending time with children. Yeah. And then as I've gotten older I'm 30 now mm-hmm. and when I pictured my life at 30 yeah when I was in the beginning of my 20s you'd think oh, I'll definitely have a house I'll have heaps of money I'll probably be married yeah I'll be I'll be probably pushing it by 30 but you know I'll probably be two or three kids deep by then yeah yeah you know? <laughs> 
And now you're like, I have none of those things. Yeah. I don't know. I'm probably another decade away from even getting close. Yeah. And then the biological clock is, you know, it hasn't really yeah. caught up to the way we live our lives now. No, no it's, uh, yeah, it's still got a bit of evolution to do. Still, still analogue. So much of being a parent, or particularly a mother, is doing extra washing up, extra cleaning, extra cooking, and I hate doing all of those things just for myself. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to have to triple the load. Yeah, and or, or also have your uh, worth as a person measured by these abilities to do this stuff, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I'm, maybe I'd be more interested in being a parent if I could be a dad. Yeah. Well, the way the world's going, <laughs> that is a possibility yeah. now as well, yeah, 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 yeah because yeah. Uh, I've been honest, my partner, yeah. She does a lot of these things that would be regarded as masculine. Mm. So like housework, whether it's like building furniture or putting up shelves. She does the IKEA flat. Yeah, pack. she does the flat pack. She does the flat pack. She'll uh, she'll determine like you know the arrangement of furniture and stuff like that oh, as yeah. well. She's in charge of the feng shui. My like, boyfriend does all the vacuuming. Mm-hmm. All the dishes. Yeah. He oh, I love the vacuuming. That's me. Yeah, vacuuming, loading yeah. the dishwasher, washing dishes. That's where I like. Yeah. Literally, if we have a barbecue, she's on the grill. Yeah, I'd be on I the make, Yeah, I'm on, I'm on cocktails. Yeah. I'm on cocktails, I'm doing hosting, so... Cocktails you know. and a gab. Yeah, exactly. Put so. I'm going to say it's cocktails and tea. That's yeah, what I'm serving yeah. all around to everybody. <laughs> and uh, I'm happy in that role. So I think, you know, that I think that's an important thing as well about uh, being able to approach the idea of raising the child with a certain level of optimism. I think that definitely comes from how your, your own self-image and how you are, your own coping strategies... Yeah. And how you're able to kind of deal with conflict and adversity. And building a new way to do it. Yeah, as exactly. As well, that doesn't follow the traditional models that haven't been particularly fair. Exactly. I, I mean, that useful to me as well, because yeah. I suppose that, you know, people argue that you are a product of your upbringing, whether that is a traumatic or positive. But I think in most people's uh, childhoods, there's going to be aspects of both. Um, but I... I in my experience, and in terms of anecdotes, I've been told by parents because a lot of people who are my age now have pa- are now parents and have been parents for a long time. Normally, they'd, I'd be like, I'm not sure what the fuck I can give a kid, and they'd be like, Well, they don't really need much when you're young, mainly just your presence. And then, obviously, I was also in the same position as you at like 30 years old. Like the idea was to you know be married, be be in the career by now, mm. and in the career that is like prosperous one, <laughs> and uh, my goodness, not a dodgy one like comedy. Yeah, not a dodgy one like comedy. Something that could pay my bills very comfortably. But yeah, at thirty, I almost found myself living what would have been my at the time what I consider to be an existential nightmare: childless, single, living with my parents, not knowing what I wanted to do next. And I think in many ways that uh, having an experience could be much more effective in terms of being able to give a child a sense of optimism because mm. I think most people worry about reaching a point in their lives where they may not have achieved their milestones or the goals they set for themselves and for a lot of people that can feel like uh, some kind of failure and I think that can affect people. I think people do a lot of things whether it's being in a job they might not necessarily enjoy or being in a relationship they don't necessarily enjoy for the sake of having some kind of stability. Mm. And I think being able to have the experience of instability and be able to adapt and react to that has been uh, very helpful because I think when I did think about having kids, one of the most important parts of support I wanted to be able to give my kids was to be able to tell them like you can pursue your dreams or do what you want. And you know, if it doesn't work out, at least you know 
and what you're not left with mm. is this kind of like voice in the back head being like what if yeah so that's that what i want my next stand-up show to be about how i think chasing your dreams skips a generation yeah you know it's funny like you know dimitri martin yeah i feel like i heard some he was on a podcast talking about that whole thing mm. where you normally find like skilled workers or like i suppose what you'd call people that work in manufacturing or like in factory and stuff Agriculture want their kids to be professionals and mainly have like a desk or office job. Mm. And then professionals want their kids to be, uh, I suppose, in, I guess, scholarly jobs like being legal or clerical or medical. And then those people, those professionals want their kids to be like scholars. Scholars want their kids to be artists. And artists don't give a fuck what their kids do. I was always so jealous of the kids whose parents were arty. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, that's the dream. Yeah, definitely. Let them be who they want and do what yeah. they want. I mean, even even kids. I went to school with a few kids who uh, had parents that were athletes, and they were also being pushed into like things very early. And I was mm. kind of like, I wish I had a parent. Do I wish I had like a showbiz parent like that or someone? But I think the idea was like a parent that's actively involved, yeah. and you're trying to realize your potential. Because my you parent... want like a William sister's dad. Yeah, well, that's what I thought I wanted. Yeah, because I think it can go one of two ways. I think if you're interested in doing something and your parents have an idea of how you can achieve that, then it's good to back you. But I suppose my parents weren't really on me like uh, Richard Williams, but they were, I think my parents definitely, because they used to say to me, like, if I'd be like, hey, I got an A on this test. And they'd be like, well, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for you. And I'd be like, I'm not the one who oh, grounds really? myself if I don't do well in school. Or I don't deny myself the my opportunity. My parents would be like, mm. what happened to the plus? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's definitely my mum. But yeah. they'd be like, well, you're doing it for you. And I'd be like, what do you mean I'm doing it for me? Yeah. You're doing this for me. I'd be at ninja school right now, yeah, yeah. training in my life dream or Anna being an animator of yeah. cartoon, of good cartoons. I'm more of a C's de- get degrees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I guess on reflection now though, I'm like, I understand when I said that because the idea was about developing your own self start in sense of being a self starter and motivating yeah. yourself because if you did find yourself in a situation whereby you're 30 years old and you don't have any kids and you don't know what you want to do next, when you do work it out, you kind of are able to motivate yourself Yeah. if you're not going to receive that from your parents. Because it, I'd say overall, and especially in the last couple of years of my career, like, I feel my dad was always supportive. He just wasn't vocal. He'd be like, you can do it, son. Mm. I guess it was more like, as long as you're, you're working hard on what you're doing and not being bummy or like just half-assing it, then that's yeah. cool and you'll, you'll work out what you're doing and I think my mum's probably more supportive now that's because they, they're more aware of what you do now because obviously you're a bit more visible as it gets yeah as it gets a bit bigger rungs yeah I think um, that's been the big lesson for me for the last few years and I guess the other side of parenting is I've had to kind of learn like nothing I do will ever get the level of approval from my parents that I want yeah like they'll never be truly yeah, yeah exactly. happy enough for me to feel it. Oh, no, 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 no. And exactly. I think <laughs> it's a big lesson to be like, okay, I actually do need to just live life for me. And yes, it's a, not it's a for big my lesson parents. to learn. Yeah. And that's why I have to get a tattoo soon. Oh, yeah. I've never had, I don't have any tattoos. Oh, nice. Because my parents hate them. And oh, I think I now that would be my, like, okay, yes. you're free. And do you know what? To wait 30 years to rebel visibly. Yeah. That's a sign of a very good kid. Yeah, I'm a good kid. Yeah, so that's, that's, a good, that's a good child. kid at heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I totally get it. It's like, you know, my older sister, she barely drinks and stuff. Mm. And does it on a very, very rare occasion. Whereas I'm just like, at Christmas time, glup, 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 glup. <laughs> um, 
But I know, I think you make a very good point, Prue, because I, th- I definitely think um, that one of the things I hope, one of the traits I hope my child definitely develops is that kind of uh, uh, self-belief and also, uh, yeah, definitely somebody who realises that their life is their own. They're independent. And they're independent, yeah. Because I think, again, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, they're a malicious endeavour for my parents, but I think for a long time they kind of were like, uh, I suppose they had enough influence that I, a lot of the stuff I did, like you said, yeah. I thought I was doing it to please my parents. Yeah. And I feel like when I started doing stuff independently and pursuing stuff that I wanted to do, then I was in a good space. And I think it's made, and I also think it allowed me to relate better to my parents because by now doing myself and basically uh, embracing the responsibility for my own life, yeah, it means I'm not going to be like, well, you guys should have done this when I was a kid and I need to be doing yeah. this. Because while that might be valid, you'll reach a point in your life where, you know, your parents just can't have the same influence in your life anymore. And like, I'm, you know, the, or as, I'm 40 now, in my 40s, and, you know, I had, up, I had a lot of beef with my parents when I was in my 20s. Yeah. But I've lived another 20 years since then, so it's kind of now like... get them more. Yeah, I get them more, but also it's kind of like, how long can you blame them before, as a grown person, you can yeah. take responsibility? So if you do need to either distance yourself from uh, negative reinforcement, or whether it's therapy, or being counselled, or just confronting your parents, then you've got to do it at some point, and so... That's funny, I have a joke in my set about how, you know, my whole teenage years, my 20s, my mom would be saying, I'm not your friend, I'm your mother. Yeah. And then suddenly it switches, and she's desperate to be my mate. <laughs> yeah. You're like, and I'm like, I'm not ready. Yeah, exactly, take your time, let yeah. me get to know you as a person yeah. first. I don't, know, I don't know what you're like on that level. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, You're still firmly in the mum category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe when I have a kid, you can be a friend. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see how it goes. No, then I we can relate don't. as peers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. As long as you're prepared to hear feedback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. I mean, I just... um. I think I yeah, definitely have a better relationship with my parents. I'm not, I haven't had the experience yet of having children where I can be like, oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> I, I think, but you know what it is? I think there's a lot of things, like I said, when I see the state of the world now, I, in many ways, do have respect for my parents. Mm. I especially think with the racial climate in like the UK and the States, where my parents are residents and they spend a lot of time between both places. My parents never gave me what I call uh, glass ceiling thinking. Mm. And... It's not to say that they didn't deal with that themselves or their own kind of trauma, but I think it's very important for them not to kind of relay that to me. Because sometimes I used to be like, you never really talked that much about the racism or discrimination that you guys experienced. Mm. And I just think, is that because they aren't able to? Or is it because they're in denial about it? Or it was internalised. Yeah, or... internalised, yeah. And is it something that they just don't want to talk about because it's seen as much more culturally affable to just deal with this shit like in a quiet and dignified manner because I don't want them to necessarily do that but in retrospect now I understand why they did it because I feel like my parents just wanted me to like not think that my race may necessarily hold me back yeah and as you said your parents always want you to be a echelon up yeah professionally so they were kind of like you're going to do this nothing's going to be able to stop you and this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, you know... Mindy Kaling always talks about yeah. how she thinks that was why she was successful because her parents instilled her with the confidence of a straight white man. Yeah. I think my parents were exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> and my mum especially was like, you'll also talk like one too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think, yeah, my uh, main thing for mum was like, my teenage years have been like, pull up your pants, pull up your pants. Why would you pull up your pants? Look smart. Yeah, but I think this is the style, baby. Yeah. This is the style. But, but you were doing that real like, pant undies sticking out yeah. for yards. Yeah, I was, a few yards. Yeah. Nothing crazy. Like, you couldn't see my butt. Pants under the bum. But yeah, just just in, maybe around the bum equator. So maybe yeah, okay. like the butt circumference. Then it was like some kind of compromise there, at least. Yeah. That I wasn't going mental with it, because I'm actually like, that probably would have put her in early grade. But naturally, over time, the pants went up. <laughs> you just get to that point. And I guess, yeah. you know, you have to... And that's the thing as well. I think that uh, pants-based analogy is me saying that, you know, at some point, I think if you give your kids the tools to work stuff out, I think over time they'll be able to adapt to a world that is currently uh, going through a massive state of uh, flux yeah. at the minute. So I definitely think um, you can't necessarily be always optimistic. And I think a sign of being a good parent is you're always going to worry about the welfare of your kids. And yeah. they're going to, and you might say to them, it's going to be fine. You, in your head, you might be like, oh my God. Like, I, you know, even like with kids aren't mine, and I sometimes see kids walking around and exploring and they might be walking too close to something or too close to something like like. I get quite uptight anyway, um, but I think sometimes I think, well, if that parent doesn't mind that much, then yeah, I can't even imagine that feeling. Like sometimes my partner really loves going for walks late at night, mm-hmm. and he's a six foot five man. Yeah, and even then, I still feel so stressed. Still, still by the like, window, the window. I love you so much. I would hate for anything to happen to you. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of where it stems from, and. Uh, I feel like that is a big part of my neurosis about having kids is like uh, I definitely am a parent that will drive my car through a school gate if I find out people were picking on my kids and uh, definitely could kidnap a teacher and put them in the back of a trunk of a car and be like <laughs> A plus I think you'll find um, my kids are genius <laughs> yeah you'll see yeah. Um, but no I, I just think yeah the main thing is just to uh, it's, it's such a good point and I think for me the uh key is that I have to just be honest about looking at the most more positive and negative aspects of myself and negative aspects I need to work on and the positive ones I could just continue to kind of uh, reinforce and have those pass on to my kids but I think the main thing is uh, the key is to see them as people not just my child 
Mm, not seeing an the, extension of self. Exactly, and not, and not a possession as well. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's being able to rationally manage, manage, sorry, manage, manage that, uh, rationalize and manage that uh, unconditional and all-consuming love. Yeah. That a lot of our fear tends to stem from. So you seem like just, not an optimist about the world, but mm. positive towards the idea of kids. Yeah, because I feel like many times in history, people are uh, considering giving birth to children in very precarious circumstances. Uh, but I guess from a biological perspective, like nature and humanity always find a way. Yeah. People have kids during wars and people have kids during famines and other natural disasters. And you know, we see Your people, could, kid could be the one that solves climate change. It could be. And I think the key is to make sure that I raise someone that is conscientious, conscientious and empathetic to other human beings. Mm. And I think that's the key is that like, if everybody collaboratively understands that it takes a village to raise a child, and while I have responsibility for my own children, I also have a responsibility for the world I create for other children, mm. then I guess that will help. But if nothing else, just a big old sorry. Yeah. <laughs> a big old sorry and be like, don't blame me, my parents couldn't even get, I couldn't even get a house because my parents yeah. gave birth to me now. I didn't ask to be born either. It's kind of the opposite of, you know, that um, cliche, like, I didn't ask to be brought into this world. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I really thought <laughs> yeah. about it. I, really, I, I know. wasn't sure. Yeah, I was, but I took, I took a very long time before this happened. And yeah. a lot of things happened in that time. Yeah. There were a lot. Listen, kid, when I started planning this, the MCU was at its height. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, but things were looking good. Things were looking pretty <laughs> good. We had the European Union. Yeah. Like, fascism was very underground. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, if you were from where we were, you know, and your mother made a very attractive proposition, may I say. Mm. Nah, kids don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear Maybe that. Not, maybe not. No, 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 yeah, no, no. I'll leave that part out. Yeah. But everything else. But I'll be like, we were really in love and cinema was doing pretty well. Oh, and man, life yeah. was getting a bit boring. Yeah, it was. You know, <laughs> we survived. You don't know this kid. Like there was a whole global pandemic. Who knew what was going to happen? Yeah, there's no way they've even heard about it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think the main thing is that uh, I'm I'm always open to suggestions, <laughs> and I never never kind of been like, well, I'm your dad, and it sticks that way. And I, I think that is the key. Um, so, however, uh, optimistic or pessimistic I am about the world, I'm just optimistic that uh, I will do my best. Lovely. I think that's all you can do. So. That was a great question, nice. Prue. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It has been made me pensive and broody at the same time. <laughs> so that's great. So I think yeah, just the perfect energy. For exactly, got me, got me in the right mind frame. Traveling around regional Western Australia. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at that in that with that close proximity to nature, it does make you think about life. So, mm. with that being said, I would like to also pose a question to you, Prue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the question is based on the fact that I said we're both doing our first tour of Western Australia. Yeah. Um, where what four gigs in, three gigs in? Yeah, four. Four gigs in, I think it's gone pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, we're four they've gigs in. Good. They've all been nice. They've been they've been, they've been nice. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I've been pleasantly surprised. But um, one thing I find, because I think this is my fifth visit to Australia, mm. and from what I can see. There seems to be, with all the comics I meet, very healthy scene, a mm-hmm. uh, very diverse scene. Uh, I think a, a scene with 
uh, massive ongoing potential. Um, but I have noticed a lot as well that a lot of the comedy offerings that you find in broadcast media tend to not be Australian. Mm. And I've also seen that, like, maybe some of uh, Australia's more distinct uh, stars that I've seen in more recent times have also left Australia uh, in order to yeah. maximise their potential, like uh, people like Ronnie, Ronnie Cheng, for example. Um, great guy and great comedian. So I guess it's a, definitely a great place to visit where comedy is concerned. And that could be part of the fact that, you know, I have the privilege of being on a tour Historically, I've performed at places like the Comedy Store in Sydney. Yeah, um, great venue. Yeah, great venue. Number of different gigs in Melbourne as well. Um, Festivals? The, yeah, I've played the festival. I've played the Greek, uh, which is a great venue. I think I've played the Chinese Museum as well. Yeah. Also a great venue as well, as well as a lot of the galas. I've had the privilege of performing at the Sydney Opera House. But I'm aware of the fact that I just walked in and get that kind yeah. of stuff. And um, not the day to day grind, they're not the day to day grind exactly. So, my question was, in your opinion, as someone who has received plaudits but is obviously still in the grind as well, like I am, yeah. um, in your opinion, what uh, things do you think Australian comedy needs to prioritize in order to reach its potential? Oh, I know exactly what they need to prioritize, and it's taking risks. Nice, like Australian comedy. And it's hard not to, you know, I'm still very much early on in my career as a comedian and mm-hmm. I've had a really great run mm-hmm. and a lot of it has been live work. Yeah. Um, so doing gigs, doing these tours and that's all great. Yeah. But I think in particular the Australian media and TV, mm-hmm. uh, it is bringing new acts along. Yeah. But they're so to do that and slow to tap into the scene yeah and the 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 number of spots that are available seems pretty limited yeah and there's not opportunities like i do i have the feeling i would love to stay in australia Mm -hmm. and and have a career in australia as a comedian but you do get the feeling like there will be a point where you hit the glass ceiling Mm. and if you want more opportunities you have to move America or the UK yeah and that's where you can maybe like I would love you know in terms of what I want for my career as and I guess everyone mm. it always shocks me when I talk to comedians that everyone has different wants yes for the you, you know it seems like kind of one career but there's so many different paths mm-hmm. and I would love to do more writing and have TV shows and yeah. work on narrative and that sort of thing mm-hmm. but there's just not many opportunities to do that here. Yeah. And I think that would be the sort of thing I'd have to move I see to follow. Is so in your opinion, like so far as like or as as far as you're aware I should say, uh what are the normal outlets for comics to transition from live work into television? Because like for me, like I said, I've, I get to come to Australia and you're straight into a gala. Yeah. And then off the back of the gala and some networking, I got to do Tom Ballard's show, for example, who yeah. has a TV he has a TV show. Um, which didn't last very long we, well yeah there you go yeah and, yeah. and it looked, for me it was a good format and it seemed like it made sense and I guess that's an example I guess of them risking something but maybe not investing in it but yeah it just doesn't really get time to become yeah. its own thing and we don't have you know when you watch all, all we watch you know all my parents watch is Would I Lie to You from the UK mm-hmm. but they would refuse to watch Would I Lie to You Australia really and Is that, have they tried it before no they wouldn't even try 
That's all strange. There's a lot of cultural cringe around Australia. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of tall poppy kind of syndrome. Oh. And, um, like, they, you know, that's tried and tested. Yes. And they have names they like. Mm-hmm. But because the Australian comedy scene hasn't offered those opportunities historically or they've gone to a very small number of people, yeah. they watch those shows and they go, I don't know these people. I know the UK names more. I see what you mean, yeah. It's a strange thing as well because it's like, there's not as many people here for a start. Yeah. So to be able to learn about rosters and kind of pick who you'd like shouldn't be that difficult. And it's a strange thing for me to witness as well because the impression I always get from the Australian comedy scene is that, you know, it's almost anathema to be like a cliche or hacky comic mm. from what I see. Like for you to be a comic that, like I said, did the kind of cringe stuff. I've not seen any comics be well regarded or anything of that no. nature. Most comics here speak explicitly and candidly about like issues of whether it's race relations or inequality here and yeah, like people kind of get into it and have a good disposition. So do you think that's a sentiment that's quite unique to the scene and not shared by Australia socially? Is that the problem? That Because obviously people are laughing when I'm when they're watching this stuff, so it's not like what comics are discussing is an alien concept. Yeah, I don't... I, I don't know. I find it so... It's a mystery to me mm. as well. And it's hard because I have had a lot of support in my career and people have been really helpful mm. and really trying to get you in front of people and get you up there and it just doesn't take yeah. or the show they're nervous they don't want to take a risk on someone new yeah. like a lot of it feels until you've proven yourself in some sense mm. of having a profile maybe you've gotten big yeah. online yes they don't trust that you can do it mm-hmm. and they don't have like something i always wondered is whether because the shows kind of run season to season, they mm-hmm. don't have those long-standing histories, like yeah. UK panel shows. Mm-hmm. Nobody is secure in their position, mm-hmm. so you don't have hosts that really want to support the younger talent. They're still nervous about their jobs and yeah, their yeah, yeah. career security, mm-hmm. and and whether that is what it is. I think probably part of it, because again, it's like it's there is definitely some parallels there between British comedy. And Australian comedy, and it's a, uh, it's an interesting thing because obviously British talent seems to be tried and tested, and I've and I've seen a number of British acts who have, I'd say they have a substantial career in the UK, yeah, but can come to Australia and still do enormous venues and pick up a very and yeah fast track having an audience because yeah. of the stuff that they've done that gets shown over here, and they can pick up quite easily, and it's it's a very strange thing because, one of the things I definitely say to a lot of comics in the UK is that it will probably serve you more for a lot of people to tap into Australian audiences mm. rather than American ones because culturally there's so much more parallels between Australians and Britons yeah. that it wouldn't be that hard but that might be the problem as well is that uh, some people do it a bit too much which kind of means it's less work for Australian media in that we could even, we could come up with domestic formats yeah. but they're similar enough, enough to us Mm. that we can kind of put them up there which I think is yeah it's not particularly productive yeah it's a it's a really strange landscape and I don't want to you know there are a lot of comedians that kind of want to blame it on the industry and it's all of these problems and maybe that's the case Mm. but I don't 
I don't know. I just believe that it will. Is there like a long standing competence within the industry? Because in, for example, I did, I did a sitcom on BBC three, mm. which was like BBC's like online offering. Yeah. And it had been like the first sitcom with a majority black cast on the BBC in like over 25 years. Right. And so it's a great milestone, but it meant that like in terms of creative control, I hadn't written anything for TV before. Yes. But there wasn't a lot of people I could be like, well, what do I do here? Or how's the best way to represent this? Because obviously if there's not been people there who have made something of this nature for 25 years, the competence isn't really going to be there in the same way that if you went to a garage with the car that, you know, was a Ford and these guys have spent 25 years doing voxels, then they're probably going to struggle with being able to work on that particular model is how mm. I see it. But it's um, a really strange thing that like, obviously there's been people who've had a lot more experience in television on in the UK is it because there's just not a lot of people that are savvy to comedy that work in television or working online is it they're not savvy to that or is it they're just they uh, and they're just learning it themselves as well or is it that they, they know what or like you said it's just that they could maybe invest but it's like I can do this or I can just grab a panel show and put that on Australian TV and say yeah I think it's maybe that and I feel like the sense I get is that there are so many people that want it to be more of a thing yeah. across the industry, across the media. And, and maybe there's just like an ingrained nervousness in the system yeah. that kind of waters it down along the way. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I, I just don't want to sit here and say, oh, it's the industry's fault and they're not making space and yeah. they need to do X, Y, Z. I mean, I you think- can. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> that might be the case. And if this is the straw that breaks that back, but I guess this, for me, I feel like what I should be doing is make find a way to make what I want, yeah. even if it's a you know five minute YouTube video. And, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not hustling like that. So yeah. it's you know I'm part of the problem as well. Yeah, but I mean, is it because is it part of the problem? Because obviously, I feel like that has been a question that a lot of comics are asking themselves: is it if they have, is it just because I need to have an online presence in order for me to be successful? But even then, I think it's kind of questionable because what you tend to find by then is that by the time uh, larger distributors or networks get on board, mm. you don't necessarily need them. Yeah. So, for example, for me, I when I came here, like maybe 2016, everyone had told me who Auntie Donna was before I'd even met them. Yeah. And they already told me like they, they had, had uploaded content onto YouTube. They had stuff on like PlayStation Network. So even I was aware of them before they had... A TV show or like mm. a streaming show so yeah it's sometimes it's like it seems yeah that people want you to be the finished article and have the following yeah before they give you a platform and I think it's a strange thing because it I mean and it might just be a large problem overall where it's like people feel like there's not as much money to be made from development yeah. as there is just from distributing something that already exists but I just think that what you tend to find is and what I've noticed not just in television or just in comedy but in general is where it seemed to be artistically scraping the barrel everywhere. Yeah. Everything is like, we're just trying to recycle nostalgia, rehashing of pre-existing formats and intellectual properties. And like shows our parents watched, be like, guess what's coming back? And yeah, I'm like, why? Like, yeah, exactly, or reruns repeats. stuff. So they're bringing it back, remastering stuff that was never that great in the first place. And it's a strange thing, because like another thing I noticed is, so it's comic uh, Nigel Ng, who uh, did the character Uncle Roger. Yeah. And I remember saying to people as well that like, once this guy is able to tap into a, the Asian diaspora in terms of like, 
Asian millennials, Generation YZ, who might be living somewhere like Australasia, mm. it's a wrap. Because people that are so seldom deprived of representation of themselves, they'll latch onto this. And yeah, he's having an amazing career as Uncle Roger because he's able to tap into it. And, and for me, it's just so strange because I get such a, I think, such a vivid uh, picture of Australia as mm. it is narrated by comedians that it's not a country with an industry that's perfectly poised to kind of elevate that. Well, and I always wonder, you know, maybe part of it is that the comedian mindset has to change. Yeah. Because why are we so stressed about getting on these TV shows when yeah. I don't know anyone who watches TV? Yeah, this is it. This is it. That's not on streaming services. Yeah. Which is a good point. And, and yeah, I get that as well because obviously, just in our natural line of work, we don't even get to watch TV that much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess and it's... Yeah, you're right. Could it be folly that we're trying to uh, position ourselves in a... In a in a medium that is actually on its way out. Yeah, chase after a model that might be broken. Yeah, and there's not really doing much now. But I, I, but I think overall, and I guess for me, the issue I suppose is the fact that, that the, even even though it is a model that's on its way out, it still exists as a centralized institution of power. Yeah. And unfortunately, we while we have a lot of autonomy on stage, mm. we don't control how that gets out to a larger audience and how that is dotted and yeah and i would love the feeling of legitimacy yeah that a tv appearance yeah exactly kind of brings a comedian yeah because then it's like i'm in front of everybody and it's it's still in it's a rite of passage we've looked at our predecessors yeah and how we've become aware of them and so we see it because for me like i was always a fan of comedy mm. but so far as like open mic and how circuits worked I didn't know that until I started doing comedy. Yeah, no idea it even existed. Yeah, exactly. So, I guess the question is like, how we can push that art form globally? Because it frustrates me as well. Because like, whether it's Australian TV or British TV, comedy is one of the most, I think, one of the most cost-effective uh, formats that you can kind of do. Because we got most of the ideas anyway. Yeah. A lot of the time, we are able to make these ideas work on the stage with just a microphone. So everything else you add on top of that is basically a bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Of, of, all, of, of all the people, like... And it's a weird thing because it's like... YouTubers have become massively successful and become the stars of today just by talking into a microphone and sometimes staring into space. Yeah. We can do that easily! <laughs> We're so and good at that. And oft, yeah, research. often. And the difference is... Well, you know when YouTubers will speak about their mental health and, like, you know, comments and being kind... Try hearing it out loud, YouTubers. <laughs> it's not nice when someone write, writes your shit. Imagine someone shouting it out to you. Yeah, we're shouting. <laughs> yeah. It's all uh, shouty stuff. Yeah, we get shouty stuff. So comments are nothing but like, you know, transcripts of heckles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. But we, we, but we actually hear that live and direct. Um, is there anyone you've seen, though, like a success story of more recent times or any peers that you've seen that you, might, makes you think, Maybe things are changing, or maybe every blue moon they can catch the right person. Yeah, I think they definitely get the right people, and there's a lot of comedians that I love. You know, I love Anne Edmonds, mm-hmm. um, and she does great things here. And I think she went to the UK briefly, but has yeah. is still living in Australia and doing great things. And mm-hmm. Celia Picola. Yeah, and shout out Celia. Shout out to Celia, and you know Greg Larson, and, and there are people that are kind of Thanks still. Because I remember I met Steen, Steen Raskopoulos out here. Okay, I've never uh, met Steen. So, and Steen has done quite a few things in the UK. Uh, obviously, Celia, who 
did the great things in the UK. Um, and I remember being here, like, it's after Renny Cheng got, like, Best Newcomer. Yeah. And, like, seeing where his kind of career has gone since then has been encouraging. Yeah, the, uh, there's people that have done great things, and I guess they have left. But I, I feel like it's coming, and maybe I'm just too early on in my career where I haven't bashed my head against the wall enough yet mm-hmm. that I still feel a sense of yeah. but optimism. It's, it's, but I think it's the same thing as having a kid. It's like you're this is your baby and it's something that you're nurturing and creating and honing which is your comedy voice and your creativity yeah. and you also want to have a certain level of optimism is that when this uh, baby of mine matures yeah. that I'll, there'll be a world in which they can thrive. Oh, at what point do I get to become an overnight success? You know, exactly. 10 years in, 15 years in. Exactly. We don't know. But yeah. I, I do think, for me, it's early and, I, and I'm not at that point of yearning to be bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. I have always tried to maintain. I don't want quick up, quick down. Yeah. I want slow, steady, maintained. Exactly. Um, as a career mm-hmm. and I want to get better and better and better yeah. but I also have thought to myself if all it ever is is open mics yeah. and medium level stand-ups I want to do that you know medium level kind of stand-up shows mm-hmm. I want to do that for as long as I enjoy it yeah and that's the thing as well like I, I guess... don't want to get bitter and then yeah. stop enjoying comedy. yeah exactly and then one day <laughs> one day one day you tweet something or you, you do a TikTok mm. And next thing, I, I don't want to be in the UK and be like, what's Prue trending? Oh, Prue. Well, Prue trends all the time, but it's because there's this horrible woman called Prue McSween. Oh, no. <laughs> and and everyone's always like, do? what have you done, Prue? Does she get to be on TV? Yeah, I think she does. See, I don't is... know much about her. I just know that her views are horrific. Oh, terrific. Well, she yeah. need, well, there needs to be some kind of swap and, uh, you know, get some of your more incendiary and controversial yeah, views. let's water down the name of Prue. Exactly. Or at least bring balance to it. Yeah, you know, bring some balance. We need a, a good Prue and uh, a really, really, really good Adolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely needs a good Adolf. Yeah, I think they've given up on that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if, your parents, if your parents call you Adolf, they are not optimistic at all about your life chances. Or if they are, they clearly are jealous of that fact and they are directly trying to sabotage you because they yeah. do not want it to work. Or they're optimistic about the rise of the neo-Nazis. Yeah. And, you know, that comes with another whole host of uh, <laughs> issues and questions. Is upsetting. Yeah, that's it's pretty upsetting. I also imagine, like, you don't, you won't get cuddled much in that house. No. Yeah, I can't even imagine it. No, I don't, I don't think they'd be great. No, no one's ever, like... Maybe that's hate. the sitcom I need to pitch. It could be. Maybe the, world, the way the world is going. <laughs> that's the one. The way the world is going. Who knows what we'll find in one of these green rooms is uh, crazy. Is um, How many, like, comedy channels are in... Uh, is there any channels dedicated just to comedy in Australia? I don't think so. Because, mm. uh, yeah, I think good stuff on, like, is it ABC and... There's a lot of stuff. There's quite a lot of British stuff on there as well. ABC... Um, they do do some comedy shows. They've done great comedy shows. Mm-hmm. But it's not dedicated to it. They're pretty few and far between. Mm. Um, yeah, the other show, the other channels kind of do like reruns. Oh, yeah. Or a lot of panel shows. They're all very news-focused. Um, so kind of oh, like... Quite topical. And topical, so it quite dated. talking about the news of the day. Yeah. Like, have you been paying attention? Or... Oh, yeah, and cheap seats and stuff. Yeah, cheap seats and things. Okay, cool. Um, so, so that's kind of like the focus of our yeah. comedy. 
So it just needs yeah a bit more diversity. Anything yeah. anything I can do from my position in the UK, or we or we can do because I think British comics do benefit from the Australian comedy scene, and it would be great if we could cross pollinate or share resources. So I mean, after this chat, it feels like I guess just stop coming. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, um, fair enough. We'll build ourselves up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I gotta go with the going's yeah, good, Prue. You'll learn one day. The comedy festival we had where no one was allowed. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think everyone had a pretty good time. Oh, then, then Prue, you can get another award for winning Exclusion Fest. <laughs> it could definitely happen. No, I think it's. Yeah, I guess. I think it's the same all round. I think we, yeah. we all, especially now as bona fide artists, we all want a world where art and creativity thrives and grows organically and and support the people that you like exactly yeah, yeah and we can do the same as well names from the rooftops exactly and we also and we also need i think i think a big issue is that uh economic reform because i i wholeheartedly believe when people have more money to spend and more disposable income mm. then they are much more likely to invest in arts and entertainment and i think yeah the fact that a lot of us have to whether we choose to or not rely on corporate entities in order to uh, supplement our success and visibility is a big issue as well. Yeah, and I, mean, I think, yeah. you know, movies and TV shows make a huge part of my personality. Exactly. And we need new ones. New ideas, and yeah. And To deal with new personalities and yeah. to, uh, yeah, and, and to reconcile our personalities and pre need to make something so I can show my future children yeah. and be like, yeah, this could be you. <laughs> you know, if you ever listen to me sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You That's could be on Australian television. Exactly. Out yeah. of my fucking hair. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, future kids. I love you if you listen to this. Um, Prue Blake, thank you so much for taking the time on the tour to oh. do my podcast. It's been amazing. Um, what I would love for you to do is please tell our listeners and viewers where they can see more of your good work, whether they be in Australia or otherwise. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dane. If you want to see more, you can follow my Instagram. It's probably the best bet at Prue Blake Comedy. And um, yeah, sign up for my newsletter. I shave my legs for this, uh, which is on Substack, and I rate every day that I shave my legs to see if it was worth the effort. And the spoiler is that it has almost never Fair been enough. worth the effort to do it. But it, it's a fun way to kind of talk about different things that are happening, different observations that I've made in my life. Nice. And I'm not going to speculate, guys, but Prue's legs do not seem particularly hairy today. So, they are, they're freshly shaved. There you go, guys. So yeah, worth it. I hope it's been worth it. Thank you so much, Prue. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Guys, please do check out all of Prue's content and uh, check out her social profiles. And if you are listening from the UK, start supporting more Australian comedians and support comedy in general. Thank you very much, Prue. Thank you. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast.